but we're starting a series today uh, that'll go probably not every week because as we as we started doing last year, we kind of uh, we're going through a series. We kind of uh, sometimes we may be going through more than one at a time. We're looking at a series of the life of Jesus. And began it right before Christmas and started with before his birth and talked about his birth. And uh, then we talked about his childhood a couple of weeks ago. And so uh, we'll get into another message about that. And we'll probably spread uh, those next few messages out until Easter. But today we're starting uh, a new, um, a new uh, series that will go about four messages. Normally when you're listening to a sermon, whether he says it or not, the pastor would hope that you forget about your problems for a few minutes for the duration of the message and knowing all the time that it's going to, those problems will come to our minds sometimes while we're, we're listening. And sometimes it may be a good reason because they hear something that you hear something in the message. But today I want you to think about your problems. Um, in fact, I want you to think about them as we go through this sermon together. Today, we're going to begin a series of messages called Lord, I have a problem. And there's no better textbook than the Bible. And there are a lot of books in particular that you can, um, you, you can read and find uh, direction from God's word about the problems you go through. Psalms is a great one. David wrote over half the Psalms. And if anybody went through trouble and problems in their life, King David certainly did before he was king, while he was king. Uh, and so he reflected on a lot of God's goodness in the Psalms. But today in God's textbook of his word, we're going to look at, I think, what would be the textbook of problems. It won't be verse by verse. We're going to look at just highlights in, in this. We're going to turn today to the book of Job. Where better could you go to look about problems? And so we're going to do that today as we look in our first of about four or five messages. Lord, I have a problem. And today we're going to look at a message about taking a look at our problems and taking a look at it from a biblical perspective. We'll look at it through the life of this man named Job, a name you've heard many times, probably heard preached about many times or heard in Sunday school. In fact, sometimes when people are describing their problems, somebody will say to them, man, you sound like Job. You know, sometimes people go through so many things and there are there are times where um, people go through a lot of things with their health or with their family or a combination, a lot of those things. And think, man, um, you know, your life sounds like Job. You're going through so much right now, and I want to pray for you and with you. Or you might hear someone say that he or she has the patience of Job describing somebody that they seem to be very patient. Well, that patience didn't come by accident, and we find that in Job's life, and we find that in our lives and the problems we go to. So today, let's look at the first message. It's going to be a very simple three-point outline, and at the end, we're going to look at some practical ways to apply a little bit of this today. But this is more of a general uh, message about problems, and then we'll get a little more specific as we go into the book of Job in the future uh, weeks to come. First thing I want to do is start out in verse 1 of chapter 1 and read down through verse 3 just to be reacquainted with this man named Job. We've heard of him, and maybe if you've read through the Bible or read through at different times uh, the book of Job, you've read a good bit about him. But like every place in the Bible, in fact, today um, when uh, Chad, he's, going, he's doing a study on Sunday mornings at Sunday school. If you're not in Sunday school, I encourage you to come and be part of our Sunday school. Uh, Chad's doing an excellent job teaching through the books of the Bible, hitting uh, highlights. Now, on Wednesday nights, I'm hitting some highlights. But what he's doing specifically is he's looking in the books of the Bible and seeing Jesus in every book of the Bible. He taught today on the book of Ruth. I'll post it later today, Lord willing. Go back and go listen to that this week. Listen to that study. What an incredible study on the book of Ruth and how 
how Jesus is seen in the book of Ruth. I think you'll really enjoy that. I'll try to get that in this afternoon, hopefully. So if you'll go to our podcast sites on the front of your bulletin there, if you've never been to it before, I encourage you to go there and spread it on to your friends. We have had, um, I know I'm, I'm, not, I'm getting into the message in just a minute, but we have had this month so far, we had uh, within about three days, we had, let's see, it was about 30-something listeners in a day or so from Oregon. I don't know anybody in Oregon, but somebody in Oregon was listening to our stuff. They were listening to Chad's uh, lessons. They were listening to some of Sharon's lessons she taught last year on um, world religions. They were listening to some of the stuff that I've, I've posted from sermons on Wednesday nights. And uh, so that's a mission. That's a mission ministry, that podcast. And so um, at any rate, uh, I encourage you to go in there and listen to Chad's lesson from this morning. But let's look at starting verse 1 to 3. Commercial's over. Verse 1. There was a man. In the land of Uz, whose name was Job. Let me just stop here and to give you a time frame. Job's life was, uh, Job, uh, from what we know of him, we see a reference in the book of Genesis. I'm, I didn't write it down this morning for time's sake, but Job is found, his name is mentioned once in the book of Genesis. So right now, from what we know, when you study the scripture, he lived around the time of Isaac, uh, or maybe Jacob, Isaac's son, Jacob. So in that time frame was when Job was, was alive. Remember that for several reasons as we look at the life of Job and talk about problems. For one thing, the Old Testament law had not been written. Remember, it was a long time later when God gave the law to Moses. So there were no laws yet as far as sacrifices for sin or sacrifices for this or that. We do know that Abraham, the scripture says Abraham sacrificed unto God. Noah did when he got off the ark, and they did it out of love for him, out of thanksgiving to him. They sacrificed to him. And so um, Job does something very similar way before the law. So keep that in mind as we look at this. The reason I say that is I want you to see the kind of man Job was. Now the Bible describes him as perfect, but we know that word perfect doesn't mean sinless. None of us are sinless. He wasn't. You and I are. Only one sinless was our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. That doesn't mean sinless but it means that he did everything the Lord would require of him the best he very, very much could. One that feared God and eschewed evil. And that's a word we don't use today, but he hated things that were evil. Um, God bless the Christian who realizes that we live in a world where we love God, but we hate the things that are wrong, that are bad. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, ye that love the Lord hate sin. Do you love God? I hope you do. I know you're here this morning to worship, and I believe you love God. But the Bible says if you love God, hate sin. It doesn't say hate people. No, hate sin. Why? Because of what sin does to people, to you and to me. That's why we're to hate sin. God hates it. We should hate it. And so it says that he eschewed evil. He hated everything that was evil and wrong. Verse 2, And there, was, there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, his substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was a very wealthy man, unlike probably any of us in here. He was a wealthy man for his day. He, he had a lot, uh, a lot that God blessed him with. If you read on down through there, for time's sake, we will not. Um, we will pick up in verse 6 in just a moment. But as you read on down through there, you see about his life a lot of things that uh, and the way he lived daily that honored God. 
He basically, verse 4 tells us that, that his children would gather together, probably like on something like birthdays, and they would have a celebration for each other together. And uh, they, would, they would meet together. They would, um, he, would have, uh, he would meet with them. They would worship or, or, or excuse me, celebrate together, maybe worship too. They would celebrate together. And the Bible speaks of the closest that he had with his family, and God had blessed him with that. But I want us to see, we'll pick up at verse 6 in just a moment. This is the very first thing. This is very simple. This outline is nothing that's going to you know, blow you away and say, wow, that was quite an outline. It's very simple. It's, these are things you know, but sometimes looking at it from somebody else's life, looking at it from Job, looking at it from the Scripture, it gives us clear direction on what we sh- how we should look at our problems. The first thing is that, number one, very simple truth, problems happen to everyone. Problems happen to everyone. He's described as a man that loved God. He's described as a man that was very wealthy. And so uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a man that obviously relied on the Lord, um, is a, obviously a man who loved the Lord. And so um, when he was loving the Lord, he was living for him. But then these problems came. We know a few, in just a few moments we'll see those problems. But these problems came in his life when they do come in life. Do you, like Job, as we'll see in a moment, do you realize that everything comes from the hand of God? Even things that are bad, He allows, doesn't mean He sends them, but He allows them. And because of that, as we'll see, Job's heart attitude was, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so when these things come, when things come in our life, whatever problems they may be, will you blame Him, will you blame the Lord, or will you trust Him through them? Trouble happens, as we see from Job, even when you're living right. He was a man that loved God. He feared God. He, he loved God and everything about uh, the things of God. He loved God to the point that he hated what was evil, but still trouble happens. Trouble happens even when you're living right. Sometimes we go through something in our life and somebody may, either, they may not actually say it, but they may think it. There must be some sin in your life. In fact, when you get to Job, his friends that he talks to at some point in here, one of them basically says that. There must be some sin in your life, Job. Now, let me back up and say this. I'm not saying that trouble doesn't come because of sin. I'm saying it doesn't always come because of sin. Sometimes it may come in our life because of sin. The Bible speaks in the New Testament of a disobedient Christian. The Bible speaks in the New Testament of one that God chastens. In fact, Job talks about God's chastening hand in the book of Job. But trouble happens even when you're living right. It doesn't necessarily mean there's sin in your life. Another thing about the fact that problems happen to everyone, trouble happens no matter how much money you have or do not have. Job was very wealthy, and yet trouble came his way. You may not have very much money at all, and trouble still comes your way. The person in the life of Job, let me say this just kind of as a side note, it single-handedly proves to us the error of prosperity theology. It doesn't work, folks. If you give so much to God through my address, God's going to bless you and keep you from this sickness. God's going to bless you and give you this, all this money or this house. or this. No, it doesn't work, folks. It may work for someone's bank account, but it doesn't work. Prosperity theology sounds good. It sells books. It entices followers. But the bottom line is it's not biblical. It's against Scripture. And Job is a prime example of it. There are many others in Scripture. Paul, there were times in Paul's life, Paul didn't know where his next meal was coming from. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. And so, you know, we see in Scripture that just does not work. Number one, problems happen to everyone. And so our perspective of looking at that is, is is there something 
that I've done in disobedience to God, that God has allowed this to, to, for me to, to get my attention, to get things right with him. Sometimes that's the case. But it wasn't with Job here. Job loved God. Now, there were some things God taught him, and as we'll see today, and especially in a future message, God is teaching you something through whatever you're going through. How quick of a learner are we? That's what we want to find out. And that's what God's looking for. So number one, they happen to everyone. Spend a little more time on the next point or two, but let's go to verse 6 down to verse 12. And this is, um, we, we, we skipped over four and five. We talked about how, how he loved his family and how, he, uh, how they celebrated together. They were very close. In fact, in verse five, it talks about that Job offered up burnt offerings. Remember, this is before the law. And he did it because he loved his family. And it says in verse five that he did it just in case they had sinned. And there was something in their heart that was not right with God. He did that for them. That's the kind of father he was. That's the kind of man he was. He loved God and he loved his family so much that he put perspective on, Lord, I love my family and whatever whatever they're going through in their life, Lord, I I want you to bless them. I want them to keep things right with you. And it says that he did that. Verse 5 says he did it continually. He did it all the time because he loved them. Pick up at verse 6. Now, this is a little lengthy, verse 6 to 12, and then we're going to come back to our second point. First point. Problems happen to everyone. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. That's talking about angels in heaven, and we don't have time to get into that. Uh, And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 that Satan is a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And so he's be, he has to be honest with God. He's being very honest with God. That's what he was doing. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, just as we saw in verse 1, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, verse 1. Then Satan answered the Lord, verse 9, and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Does he serve you just for nothing? Does he serve you uh, because you've given him everything and you've blessed him? Is that why he serves you? What's his motive for serving you? And so when we go through troubles, it's good to stop and say, you know, I enjoy the blessings from the hand of God. But if God, for whatever reason, stopped these blessings for a little while, would I still serve him? Would I still live for him? In light of all the problems I'm going through or whatever, maybe one problem, whatever you're going through right now, Will I still love him and will I still serve him? Verse 10, hast hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan knows human nature. We'll get back to that. But Satan knows human nature very well. And most people, that would, they may fall in that category. Because Satan knows how people are. He knows where our weak spot is, and he can attack it. He knows where our strong point is, and he'll attack that. If he can't get us to fall on our weakness, he'll try to get us to fall on our strength. And so he says, touch all that he had. Bring damage upon him. Bring damage upon all that he has, and we'll see if he won't curse you, God, to your face. This is Satan talking. Verse 12, this is the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Number two, problems are part of living in this world. They're always going to be a part of living in this world. 
They always have been since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They will always be. Number one, we live, for one thing, we live in a fallen world. We live in an imperfect world, as beautiful in some places as, as this world is. The planet Earth, a lot of the things we get to see, and it's beautiful, but it's still a fallen world at best. People get sick. In this fallen world, people die. In this fallen world, there are numerous uncertainties of life. We cannot know, predict the future. We can try, we can guess, but we can't. We live in a fallen world where nothing is perfect. There's only two things perfect. There's God and His Word. Those are the only things perfect. We're not perfect. Our, our, our family's not perfect. Our parents, our children, uh, our spouse, our, our pastor, uh, each other, no one's perfect. We're not perfect. It's a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, we are prone to problems and troubles. No matter where we go or what we do. Secondly, because of the problem of living in this world, we are fallen beings. And that complicates the matter. We're not only living in a fallen world, but we're fallen beings. We're sinners. We're sinners by nature and by choice. We're sinners and self-centered by our nature because of who we are, because of our sin nature. It started in the Garden of Eden, and that's always been there. It's always been true. We're all self-centered to some point. And in Job's life from chapter 1 to chapter 42, we see at different times where God deals with him, and Job takes a long look at his life more than once. And he looks at his problems, and he looks at things from God's perspective. In fact, he looks in chapter 38 so, so much where God says to him, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? You're not the center of the universe, Job. And even our problems are not the center of the universe. God wanted him to see everything in perspective. We are fallen beings. Pride does more damage than many other things in life. It did a lot of damage for Lucifer. He fell because of his pride. That's part of it, at least. Pride does more damage than many other things. Addictions are real. But pride can sometimes be worse. Not that addictions aren't bad, but they can be worse. Relationships turn bad. Our actions and decisions affect us and others, and others as well because we are fallen beings. They affect us. They affect others. Um, some people are well-meaning but very gullible. The Bible calls them simple in the book of Proverbs. They'll believe or want to believe anything or everything that sounds good no matter the source. That's part of our fallen nature because we are sinners. Some people have to learn the hard lesson. And not everyone has their best intentions and best interests in mind. They don't. Um, sometimes other people don't. Go with me to uh, Mark, if you will, the Gospel of Mark. Hold your place in Job. Mark chapter 7. Sometimes other people don't. Sometimes it goes without saying, but I'll say it. The government doesn't necessarily, uh, doesn't necessarily have our best intentions in mind. Why? Because they're full of fallen people. They're imperfect. They're going to do some things that are not right because they're human. We have to realize just because somebody's in government doesn't make them sinless by any means. But that's true with anybody. I don't want to just pick on the government today. I like to do it, but I don't want to just pick on the government today. We're all that way. Look at Mark chapter 7. Look with me at verse 20 to 20. These are the lips of Jesus, the words of Jesus. They're not Paul. Paul says something, some things even worse later. But this is how Jesus describes as sinners. Verse 20. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man, for from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, 
covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, which is a, just a long word for um, uh, uninhibited, um, uh, sinful, um, fleshly acts, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's a description of the sin nature by our Savior. Those things are within. Now, I'd like to think, and I wish it was true, that when a person got saved, all those things just got snatched out of our heart. They didn't. They didn't. They can be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. They can be, uh, we, we can walk in victory over those things because now that we're saved, we don't have to live that way anymore. We have within us a power that we didn't have before we were saved. And so Jesus describes that sin nature, and people are fallen beings. We live around other fallen people as well because we're all fallen beings. Their actions and decisions affect us just like our actions and decisions affect them. And so uh, some people are gullible and others know how to take that to their advantage. They know how to play somebody, uh, so to speak, their emotions. They know how to entice and lead others to make unwise decisions that are against the Word of God and the will of God for their life. Fallen people can operate in groups and entice others with fear uh, or wrong thinking. Proverbs chapter 1 gives it a, a great example of that. Even the name of someone's rights or in the name of the government, I've already mentioned sometimes, can mislead people. Wise is the Christian that realizes that man is basically sinful and that unsaved people will do what unsaved people do. And so sometimes, uh, because we're fallen beings, we find out that, that can, uh, that's definitely a factor, not only this fallen world, but that being fallen beings is a factor as to why sometimes troubles come in our life, even if we didn't bring them in our life ourselves. In fact, other Christians that are living disobedient to the will of God can do something very similar as well. The result of sin's actions bring consequences. That's true from the very, very beginning from Genesis. All the way through. Some of those consequences happen sooner. Some happen later. Some last a very long time. But there are consequences. Deep inside those consequences are problems that spring up eventually. So we live in a fallen world. We live among fallen people, including ourselves. We're all fallen. So problems are a result of, of living in this world because, third of all, this is important to remember. Because if you think of just the fallen world and fallen people and leave it at that, you're going to miss a very important piece of the puzzle. And that is, third of all, we have a real enemy. We have a very real enemy. And the Bible describes the way that he uh, was going to bring this temptation, or, or excuse me, to bring these problems in Job's life, part of which would be temptation. And so uh, Satan stands before God and he says, look, he, he's going he's to, as long as you have your hand of blessing on him, he's going to do great. But if you take that hand of blessing off, in fact, if you allow bad things to come, he's going to curse you to your face. He'll curse you, God. Third of all, we have a real enemy. He is stronger than us, but God is stronger than him. We have to remember that. We need not fear the devil if we belong to the Lord. We don't need to fear him. Those who are unsaved are blinded by the enemy, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that they are blinded uh, by the enemy. Those who are saved uh, are hated by the enemy. If you're a Christian, you're hated by your enemy. We have a Savior and an all-powerful God who loves us. But Job gives us that example that our enemy, folks, does not want good for us. He does not want what is best for us. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus told his disciples, I'm coming that you might have life, you might have it more abundantly. He says, but the thief comes not, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
If he can't steal something from your life, he'll try. If he can't kill you, he'd like to. But if nothing else, he'll destroy something in your life, something dear to you, someone dear to you. He will do that. And so um, we have an enemy who majors in causing trouble for us. We read uh, Job 1 verse 9. Go to chapter 2 real quick, verse 3. Job 2 verse 3. This is after God allows Job, uh, excuse me, allows Satan to do some things. It says in verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest him, uh, me against him to destroy him without cause. In other words, he says, Look, you see how Job continued on in his integrity, even though... As you said, if, you'll do, if, you, if you do these things to him, he's going to curse you. Verse 4, Satan answered to the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yeah, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Satan knows human nature very well. A lot of times that is very true. Then he again brings another temptation uh, in the next couple of verses. But we see how he is relentless, and he will not let up until he has to. Whatever our enemy does to us is not without God's will, or, or excuse me, knowledge, and not without his allowance. Now, it doesn't mean that God approves of it or God wants it to happen. But we see in Job's life that if, he, if the devil does allow something in our, or bring something in our life, ultimately God has to uh, allow it. It's not something that the devil can do without God knowing about it. So we do know that that was the case with Job. Now, however, some say, well, can the devil read our mind? Does he read our mind? There's nothing in Scripture that can prove to us that the devil to show that the devil can read your mind. I don't think he can read your mind from what I've seen in Scripture, but he can place thoughts there. He certainly can do that. He works on our flesh, our old nature, and tries to place thoughts there. And it causes us to ignore God's truth when it's there on our mind and heart. In fact, Scripture gives a parable. Jesus talks about how, how the enemy takes the seed that's sown, and he'll, he'll, he'll take that seed away if he can. Let's move to the third thing before we close this morning. Number three, we looked at chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 a while ago, but for time's sake, let's look back at chapter 1 and verse 13. Pick up where we left off. And it was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Uh, and have slain thy servants with the, uh, the servants with the edge of the sword, and only I am escaped alone to tell thee. Well, that repeats several times from the Sabaeans, from the Chaldeans there in verse um, uh, 15, Chaldeans verse 17, skip down to verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine of their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and only, I am only alone to escape to tell thee. Number three, problems usually occur when we least expect them. They usually happen when we least expect them. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 7, we'll probably come back to this. But the Bible says, yet a man is born unto trouble as sparks fly upward. You ever, you ever looked at a fire, maybe a fire in a fireplace or a fire at a campground or something, and watched those sparks go upward? Uh, sometimes they come in bunches, don't they? You bump that log and there's just several of them at one time. Man is born into trouble as sparks fly upward. Born into troubles. We're fallen sinners with a sin nature. Born into a fallen sinful world. Dwell among other sinners. That is why... We need to be born again. That's why an unsaved person needs to be born again. 
because we are sinners, and without Christ we have no hope. John 3, 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, um, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being saved doesn't solve all our problems while we're here on earth. I mean, you folks here today, we're saved, even, uh, most all of you I know I've talked to, you're saved, but it hasn't stopped your problems, has it? Absolutely not. It won't stop your problems here on earth. But when you're born again, you know that you have a Savior who will be with you throughout your life, no matter what you face. He will always be there. Let's close with some promises. Go with me to Proverbs real quick. We're going to be at two of these real quick. These are not real lengthy, but I want to look at about four things to keep in mind. And we'll probably come back to some of these thoughts in the uh, future messages. Look with me at Proverbs, two books from Job to your right. Proverbs 21 and verse 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. Some troubles can be avoided simply by watching the words we say. And to that, probably everybody can say amen. Just give you a reference. If you go back to the book of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19, the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon writes and says, there are seven things that God sees as an abomination. Three of those have to do with our words. Isn't that something? Of the seven things God lists that are abomination, drunkenness is not one, though God is certainly not in favor of drunkenness. Um, there's several other things you could talk about that are not in that list of seven, but three of them have to do with our words. So troubles, some troubles can be avoided, not all of them. We'll get to that probably in the future uh, messages. Another thing, um, I'll just read the reference to you if you want to write it down. Romans 12, verse 15. Romans 12, verse 15, the Bible says, Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. The Lord may be trying to teach important lessons to you in your troubles so you can be more sympathetic and compassionate for others who are going through something. If we need something, well, there are a lot of things we need in, in, in Christianity and in, in, in churches. One of the things we need in churches is more that. More compassion more sympathy when another person's going through a difficult time. Sometimes it means texting or telling them in person or calling them, I'm praying for you. You don't have to ask them a lot of details. Some people don't necessarily feel like giving a lot of details. They just need to know somebody's praying. Does that make a difference for you? It sure does to me. It makes a big difference to know somebody's praying. But weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Go with me one more place to 2 Corinthians Chapter 1. We'll, we'll have one after this, but I'll just quote it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. This kind of follows along the line of that one, about being having compassion, sympathy uh, towards each other, towards others who are going through problems. 2 Corinthians 1, this grows out of that compassion, that sympathy. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Aren't you glad He is? Um, uh, just two weeks ago, stood by, beside a graveside with someone in their family, just lost a, a mom. And you know, uh, God's the God of all comfort. Sometimes the words we say can help, but, but God is the one who really gives comfort in our time of need. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them, comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So in a very real way, well, let me read verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. In a very real way, every Christian should be to some degree a counselor. 
Because there's something in your life you've gone through that's very valuable to you because God was good to you, God blessed you, God brought you through it, and you can encourage someone else with that. You can help someone else along the way. Maybe someone did the same thing for you, and you pass that along. You pass that to others with the comfort God gives you and the words that you you saw in Scripture, something you can help someone with, maybe something they never saw before to get through something that's very tough. And then who knows, but there may be a time down the road where someone does that again for you. We need that. Finally, I'll just quote this, Proverbs 24 again, Proverbs 24 verse 10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy, thy strength is small. Adversity is another word for problems or for troubles. Don't quit. Don't quit in those problems. Problems build our endurance and they display our character. Like diamonds in the rough, the Lord is using those problems to work on us while He's working in us. He's making something of our life. We get through the book of Job. There, about halfway through, you see where you see words of desperation. Then you see words of hope. And then when he gets to the end, we see how God puts his hand of blessing upon him. When you're going through troubles, one of the things that happens oftentimes is we're blinded to realize there will be an end to this one day. You say, well, what if it means it's a trouble that uh, I end up leaving this life? God takes you home. Man, what better end of that trouble can you have? When you're in the presence of Jesus, folks, any and every trouble you've got is going to be settled just like that. Every trouble. There's not one problem or trouble you can think of that won't be solved in the presence of Jesus. Every one of them. But it's the meanwhile. But it's not just the sweet by and by. It's the not so sweet here and now, right? That's what we have to endure. And so we have to keep these things in mind. Not a very, you know, not a very deep sermon by any means, but reminders of what we need. Lord willing, in the next weeks, we'll go to another study and look at Job again a little bit more. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And Lord, there are times in our life we go through something and words of others, they help. And it's good to know they're praying for us and it helps a lot. But Lord, there's sometimes that we realize that the real comfort that comes is because of you. Now, sometimes that comfort comes because someone's praying. But we know you are the God of all comfort. You told your disciples that when you, uh, after your crucifixion and after you rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven, that you were sending the Comforter, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Thank you for your comfort, Lord. Thank you for your strength that you give us. And there are times we're going through problems, and sometimes they come in bunches. There may be more than one at a time. Times that we're going through problems where we can at some point just stop and realize, I need the grace of God for this. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Lord, maybe if nothing else, sometimes that's what you're teaching us through some of our problems, to rely upon you and to draw closer to you. Lord, there's a problem that everyone is born with, and that's the problem of sin. We're all sinners by birth and by choice. We might think that we might have not have done what Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the garden, but Lord, we're, they did it without a sin nature, and we have a sin nature. We're sinners by birth and by choice. And we might, we, we might like to think we would not have made that, that choice or that decision, but we're all sinners. We're all imperfect. We have limited knowledge and information as we go into problems 
until you start opening your word to us and guiding us and directing us through the power of your word. I thank you for that today. Lord, may we grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. If there's someone here that's never trusted Christ, that that sin debt, they'll realize that debt is over their head and it's something that has to be paid. And as Chad very well said this morning, there are only two ways to do that. You can do it by being perfect. None of us are. Or you can do it by receiving the perfect gift, and that's Jesus Christ. He is perfect. He paid the perfect price when He died on the cross and shed His precious blood that we can have eternal life through His finished work. He rose again to assure us of eternal life. So Lord, for someone here that's never trusted Christ, may they come to know Him today as their Savior. And to know that whatever they go through, they don't have to go alone anymore. They can walk through that with the Savior who walks with them. A spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within them in direction from your word. And I pray that we'll know that, Lord. Thank you for your wisdom and your strength. Thank you for your power that comes from your grace. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, buddy, if you'll come close us in a verse or a course, let's all stand. Uh, what number, buddy? <laughs>